Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us again and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Wow, there's a lot going on. A lot of biofuels news we want to get into today. We talked about uh, the Biden administ- uh, the Trump administration, EPA, granting three small refinery exemptions on their way out the door this week. But the Renewable Fuels Association had said they would fight it, and they have, and they've taken it to court and got a stay on those. We'll be getting an update on that. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, will be joining us on today's program. Lots to talk about with the markets. Is the rally over? Are we slipping? going to slip back now? How far might we fall? Or is it going to charge some more? We'll talk with Arlen Suderman with StoneX about that. And we'll talk with a member of the United Soybean Board about a new program, a pilot program, to identify products and ingredients that use sustainably grown U.S. soy. That's coming up a little bit later on in today's program. So we have a lot to cover. Let's start things off with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. Uh, what can you tell us about this latest on the small refinery exemptions and the uh, the court action now to put a stay on those three that were granted by the EPA uh, earlier this week? Well, Mike, uh, you know, uh, the RFA this week had put out uh, – an emergency exemption, or excuse me, an emergency appeal to the uh, Circuit Court of Appeals in D.C. And um, part of that has to do with an ongoing case that RFA was involved in uh, in relation to the waivers program. And uh, basically the judge said it was a very short order saying that uh, he essentially wanted time to review the situation <clears throat> before really uh, moving on with this. And uh, I think it's probably uh, it's probably a good thing considering that there's uh, you know we have a Supreme Court case coming up sometime in the spring. Um, the courts agreed to hear the the situation an appeal involving three refiners um, on the program, and uh, I think it just uh, you know it says a lot too about the incoming administration. I think that uh, you know going forward we're probably going to see some some obvious changes uh, from the Biden people uh, when it comes to the RFS and perhaps. Uh, you know, this waivers program is probably going to look quite a bit different. So things are kind of on hold for the time being. And again, we'll get an update from Jeff Cooper coming up in our next segment. Meanwhile, uh, President Biden uh, signed some executive orders yesterday, taking some immediate action. One of the things we'll be watching closely uh, is on the Keystone XL pipeline, which has been controversial right. from the get-go, and now he seems to be shutting that down for the time being. Uh, what's the latest on that? Uh, yeah, you know, the executive order that he issued yesterday uh, essentially removes the pre- uh, presidential permit that uh, President Trump had granted to the, to the company building the pipeline. Uh, we've seen a number of press re- uh, releases and statements this morning about that. Uh, it's kind of interesting because we have tribes uh, in Canada who are very upset with the ruling. Um, and then we've got the tribes here in the United States that are very pleased with the ruling. And then, of course, you know, in between, we've got the company that's been fighting for better than a decade trying to get this project through. Um, it seems at this point that the Keystone XL pipeline is, is a dead project. 
um, you know, the Biden administration, you know, on day one comes out with this executive order. And I suspect that no matter what uh, what the company tries to do, uh, whether it be through the court system or whatever else, I, I think it's uh, it's probably a dead a dead project. And the sad part is that, uh, you know, there are many, many jobs related to that project that, that are going to be lost. And so uh, we'll see where it goes. How much of that is actually completed at this point? Well, you know, we, it's it's kind of been it's been in segments anyway, and we're talking about, um, you know, I don't know the exact mileage, but it's uh, you know there's still quite a bit to do yet. Uh, you know, here in Nebraska, we had quite a battle on this. Um, you know, it's been fought back and forth in state courts. The governor's uh, supported the project, and he's kind of gone back and forth with with environmentalists and the company and so on. And so I think, um, you know, it, it was fairly set up and ready to go for completion and uh, I don't know about when that would have been, a, been completed but uh, it was definitely uh, definitely far down the road it's been on again off again well now it's off again so we'll see what happens there yeah. anything else uh, from an ag perspective we should be watching with these executive orders and actions early on here by the administration yeah absolutely uh uh, the Biden administration put out a list of rules and regulations that they're reviewing. And one of those is the navigable waters protection rule, which, uh, you know, has been uh, quite a change from what we saw from the 2015 WOTUS rule. Uh, and I think by and large, in general, ag groups were, were rather pleased with that, what that rule had, had done, although there were still some concerns with that rule. Um, and then also we, we saw some action taken on pesticides protection and safeties, uh, for workers, you know, who use these pesticides. Um, that was a rule that was completed here not that long ago, and that one's also on the list. Uh, it's one of the things we're just going to keep watching, but uh, the Biden administration put out a list of uh, nearly 50 rules that it's reviewing at EPA alone, and uh, that's not to say there aren't others, but um, it's something we're definitely going to follow. I, I think we're going to see quite a bit more. The early days of any administration are kind of the honeymoon period, right? And everybody's hopeful right. and optimistic, and uh, we're going to work together. And then decisions okay. start coming down, and then you start getting reaction to those decisions, and some of them you're not going to like. So then the, then you know yeah. the honeymoon's over. We'll see how long this one lasts. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I have a feeling it might be fairly short-lived. Uh, you know, it's just going to depend. I know agriculture is highly engaged in, in this, and uh, – you know, there's there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to, but I think um, you know there's also a lot of opportunities with the new administration. And, you know, biofuels has had a rough go under Trump in the past four years, and maybe this is a reset. Uh, maybe this is a better day ahead for with EPA. Time will tell. That's for sure. Uh, there's there seems to be a lot of optimism. I think there's uh, a good feeling about. Tom Vilsack coming back to USDA for right. the most part. And uh, good feeling seems to be building towards Michael Regan, the new EPA administrator, as we wait for their confirmations. But until he makes an actual ruling on something, uh, you know, right. uh, we won't know. And that's exactly right. You know, we can look into we can look into backgrounds and see where people have been and what they've done. But it, you're right. Um, it's kind of a new day. It's kind of a reset. And so. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see, but I, I think we're going to learn uh, very early on uh, where the Biden EPA stands on things. I, I don't think this is something we'll have to be waiting around for very long. 
Yeah, and I, I think whether it's what Congress does or what the administration does through agencies, I think the tone gets set for an administration sure. pretty early on. So we'll we'll know soon, I would think. T- Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. By the way, tomorrow we'll be talking with a member of the uh, Biden Ag Transition Team, and uh, we'll talk with him about uh, what they looked at, what they proposed, what they advised the administration on, and, and possible uh, maybe a, a look into what we might see coming policy-wise from the Biden administration on some ag issues. That's coming up on tomorrow's program. But coming up next, the latest on this small refinery exemption legal battle now. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, joins us next Hi, on AOA. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Finally, we have a big market rally to talk about, and I'm sure will impact, uh, if not now, eventually the sales numbers. These are the numbers from December. The rally, of course, has gone on since then, but was already being felt at that time. Are we starting to see any reflection in, in your sales numbers yet? As we look at the December numbers for tractors and combine sales throughout 2020, I think one word to describe the whole thing is surprised in that numbers exceeded expectations throughout the entire year. We finished the year 2020 with really some strong numbers across the tractor segment, very much driven by the under 40 horsepower tractors, but really saw some strength across all tractors in the month of December. And that carried on to sort of the whole year being above expectations and quite a bit above where we were this time last year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. 
A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We came into this week wondering if the outgoing Trump EPA would grant any small refinery exemptions. Turned out they granted three. The Renewable Fuels Association had said they would fight that if any were granted, and they have. Let's get an update from Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Looks like you've been able to uh, get a stay on those three small refinery exemptions. Tell us about it. Well, that's right, Mike, and that news is hot off the press. We just were informed this morning that the D.C. Circuit Court is ordering a stay on on those three uh, small refinery exemption petitions that EPA granted Tuesday night, uh, you know, less than 24 hours before the Trump administration was, was leaving office. Uh, so we, we intervened and, and uh, filed a, an emergency motion uh, Tuesday night, uh, just a few hours after we were alerted that these petitions had been granted. Uh, and, of course, yesterday was the inauguration, so there wasn't much happening. But first thing this morning, we got notice from the court that they are indeed going to hit the pause button uh, and prevent EPA from further processing these three exemptions. And, and that's really important because that stops EPA from returning 260 million RIN credits to these three refiners, which... Uh, you know, if, if those were flooded back onto the marketplace, it would certainly have an impact, uh, not just on rent prices, but on, on demand for, uh, for renewable fuels moving forward. So glad to see the court issue that stay this morning. It doesn't mean um, that those three petitions have been, you know, rejected or denied or, or uh, invalidated, uh, but it does give us more time. It, it, it's going to allow the new EPA, the incoming folks, uh, to take a look at this and decide how they want to move forward. So now we got all this going on. You've got that stay. You've got a pending Supreme Court case. You've got a new administration, a new EPA coming in. How do we sort through all this? Well, Mike, we've got a, a serious case of whiplash after the, the last few weeks. There are just so many moving pieces uh, in the middle of a transition from one administration to the next. Uh, and, and you're right. We've got a, a pending Supreme Court uh, review of the Tenth Circuit decision. Uh, we've got uh, a 2021 RFS rule that hasn't yet been proposed. We still have 60-plus pending small refiner exemption petitions. Um, so, you know, the, the new EPA administrator, the nominee, uh, Michael Regan, is going to be coming into the office with a lot of loose ends on the RFS that quickly need tied up. And, and he's aware of that, and I think we should hear a plan, I think, from EPA fairly soon on how they intend to move forward on, on all of these pieces uh, regarding the RFS, and, and we think by summertime we'll have a Supreme Court decision, and hopefully uh, we'll know the lay of the land with regard to the RFS moving forward, you know, come summertime. Do you think they already have the incoming administration and, and Michael Regan, do you think they have a plan that they're going to try to implement, or do you think they're going to take a wait-and-see attitude? Well, I think the first thing they're going to do is is take a look at all of the messes 
frankly, that they are inheriting from uh, Administrator Wheeler uh, on the RFS. And they're going to take a hard look and and uh, analyze the best path forward on these things. And um, certainly they've already begun that process with some of the uh, regulatory review teams and, and transition teams at EPA that are, you know, taking a, taking a look at this. Um, but we do think that, you know, within the next 60 days, certainly within the next 100 days, um, EPA is going to come out with sort of a roadmap for moving forward on, on all these various issues related to the RFS. Uh, I don't think they're going to take a wait-and-see approach long-term on the small refinery exemptions or, or, or these other issues. I mean, uh, you know, President Biden uh, and the Administrator-designee Michael Regan have both come out and criticized uh, the, the previous administration's handling of, of these exemptions. So I, I think that's a pretty good signal that they're going to take a much different approach to this issue. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So, Jeff, on the one hand, you're fighting that legal battle. On the other hand, I know you're trying to make the case for ethanol with the new powers that be forming climate policy in this country that to make the case for ethanol to be a part of those plans. That's right. And I, and I think, uh, you know, we, we are finding some success in making that case uh, to the, the folks who are going to be in positions of influence in the new administration as well as uh, leaders in the new Congress. Um, there is going to be more attention and more focus on energy and climate uh, legislation and, and just, you know, climate issues in general uh, as we move into this, uh, this new Congress. And so we are uh, doing everything we can to remind people that we have a, a climate solution available today uh, in the form of, of corn ethanol, uh, that is reducing greenhouse gas emissions by as much as 50% compared to gasoline. And, you know, if we're allowed to put more of that renewable fuel in our fuel tanks, it's going to have a greater impact uh, in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So, you know, really underscoring the importance of a rapid shift to E15 uh, and, and blends, you know, well beyond E15 uh, in the context of, of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And, and we're finding... You know, it's a receptive uh, audience and, and some open minds uh, with regard to those arguments. I, I think there is growing recognition that uh, even, you know, even the most ambitious plans to deploy electric vehicles, uh, you, you're not going to see an immediate shift or an immediate turnover in the fleet from 230 million internal combustion engines to, to electric vehicles. So, you know, in the meantime, we ought to be doing everything we can to reduce the carbon impacts and the emissions impacts of, of our transportation sector, and that solution is, is biofuels, and ethanol should fit right in there. And there's been some action on that as far as looking at uh, E15 labeling and things like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, in addition to jamming us with, with these three new small refiner exemptions on the way out the door. Uh, Administrator Wheeler also did finally uh, make good on a, on a promise that was made to Senator Ernst and, and Senator Grassley and, you know, a promise made by President Trump that they would uh, address further barriers uh, with regard to E15 in, in the marketplace. And, and certainly we know one of those big barriers is that bright orange pump label uh, that says warning and, and scares people off from even trying the fuel. 
Um, so EPA did last Friday uh, issue a proposal to either reform that label and make it a little less spooky and maybe change the color and, and wording of it um, or entirely eliminate it. And, and we think we're at a point in the marketplace where you really don't need that label. You've got um, you know, 96% or more of the vehicles on the road that are legally approved to use E15, and every single station that offers E15 either offers E10 or E0 in some cases uh, for, you know, those owners of, of small engines and, and boats and, and other uh, applications that, that uh, E15 is not yet approved for. So we think it's time to address the label, um, and there are some other proposed reforms in that uh, rule that we think would be helpful to expanding E15. Jeff, after all the years of, of trying to protect and get uh, Congress to enforce and get EPA to enforce the uh, renewable fuel standard, we've been looking at the year 2022 as a, as a time of transition with the RFS. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden we look and see 2022 is next year. What is the plan uh, moving forward? That's right. 2022 is going to be here a lot sooner than any of us uh, expected, I guess, which is, is crazy to think about. You know, going back to 2007 when, when the RFS2 was a brand-new policy, 2022 seemed like a long time away, and, and, and here we are. Um, so, yeah, that is going to be another focus for us this year is working with EPA to make sure that the rules that they are crafting for the volumes after 2022 continue to provide growth uh, for renewable fuels and, and really all categories of, of renewable fuels. Um, our position, which we've already shared with EPA and, and, and shared with Congress, is that the RFS, you know, doesn't go away. It doesn't sunset. That's clear. That, that should be very clear um, to everyone. And that Congress's intent all along was for the program to continue to provide and stimulate growth in renewable fuel production and consumption beyond 2022. Um, so we're going to be, you know, again, working diligently with the agency to make sure that the rules they are drafting uh, do just that. All right, Jeff, lots going on. Thanks again for the breaking news on the, uh, the court action, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Sounds great, Mike. Thanks for having me. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, the latest on the markets coming up with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain futures are mixed on the Board of Trade this morning. Fundamentals remain solid and the U.S. producer is counting on strong prices throughout February to ensure solid insurance protection for the 2021-22 marketing year. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading five and three quarters higher at 527 and three quarters. The May contract up five and three quarters at 529 and three quarters. Looking at the soybean contracts, the March contract up four and three quarters at 1374 and a quarter. The May contract up four and three quarters at 1372. In the wheat, Chicago wheat March down two and three quarters at 665. Kansas City wheat March trading three cents higher at 640. Minneapolis spring wheat March trading a penny and a half cent higher at 639. The May contract up two cents at 648. Strong midweek gains in lean hog futures is offsetting early week pressure in the hog complex. The expectation is that fundamental and technical support moving into the complex will stimulate further momentum in most lean hog future contracts. Lean hog futures on the board to trade the February contract up 10 at 68.52. The April contract up a dollar two at 74.10. Looking at feeder cattle, the March contract down 32 at 137.20. The April contract down 42 at 140.20. Looking at live cattle, the April contract up 12 at 119.02. The June contract up 15 at 116.30. In cash cattle country yesterday, we saw light to moderate business in the south. The majority of trade was live and done at $110 per hundredweight. Only very light trade was reported in Nebraska, also on a live basis at $109 per hundredweight. Today, asking prices are around $112 in the south, but remain hard to find in the north. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Arlen, is the market rally over? Uh, you know, as a as a wise trader once said, they don't ring a bell in Chicago when the high is in. So we don't know for sure when the highs are in. One person gets the high price. 
Um, but I don't think we can make that assumption. Uh, certainly there is a pause right now in the markets that are, are were very overbought, and we've had a correction lower now. We're bouncing today. We saw end users come in yesterday and buy on the export market, uh, including China, Mexico, and others. Uh, so they're concerned about the possibility of higher prices. Uh, but frankly, it comes down to what happens now in South America. And, uh, you know, we're we're not even started planting the safrina corn crop yet, and it's going to be a couple months before we know what the Argentine corn crop is. And when we look at soybeans, it's harvest time now. We're ha we've harvested about 1% of the crop, so the trade is kind of waiting to see how's the rest of it going to come in. And, uh, you know, that's going to take a little time, so we're seeing a little bit of a pause and excuse for a correction that, Frankly, it's been surprising we haven't had a lot more sharp corrections in this rally. What are you hearing? What are your people telling you about South America? Well, when you, when you go to Argentina, I've been talking to one of our people there in Argentina here over the last hour, and he was telling me he's been surprised at how good the crops are doing right now. Are they below trend? Certainly it does, uh, that does appear to be the case for now. But it's very early in the growing season for the bulk of their crops right now. The critical months are really February and March. They're dry this week, um, but as we get into Really, the 29th or 30th of this month, we're expecting rains to start moving back into Argentina. And some of the research in, the meteorolo in meteorology and climatology is showing that we could stay wet in Argentina right on through the middle of February. So uh, a pretty good period for Argentina for crops to kind of regain some of that uh, uh, yield potential. As we go to Brazil, uh, really southern parts of Brazil have looked pretty good for the most part. Uh, our real concerns have been a Mato Grosso, Mato Grosso de Sol, kind of that center west district, and the central and northern soybean growing belt. Uh, they've had well below normal rains. Um, it's It's been the driest easily of the last 40 years. But let's keep in mind that's driest of a very wet tropical region. Um, some areas there get 16 inches of rain per month on average. So if you get half of that, you still have eight inches of rain. Now, a lot of areas had less than that. Some areas uh, had that. Uh, it comes down to distribution and stuff. And so our, our estimate at the beginning of the month from our Brazil team that surveyed producers and commercials down there was 132.6 million metric tons. That's a record crop. That's a big crop. It's slightly below trend considering the area they planted. Will it get smaller? It very well may, but it's still going to be a pretty decent crop overall. Now, as we get the weather change, at pattern change at the end of the month, we're going to go back to a below normal trend in that northern area. Normally, we'd say, no problem. That'll just help with harvest. This year, the crop, even though we've harvested 1% of the crop, and that's both basically in Mato Grosso, we've got a lot of late planted beans in that area as well that still need to finish filling the pod. So we may take a little bit off there. But overall, this is not a crop failure yet at this point in South America, but it doesn't have to be a crop failure because domestic and global stocks are tight, but at least the exporting country supplies are tight and demand is strong, so we really can't afford to fall anymore from where we currently are. What does China's buying 
tell us about their needs and what they think of South America's crop. Yeah, I think there's been so much focus on South America that we've really taken our eye off the ball with what's happening in China. Now, China just released some data over the past weekend that says that uh, their hog production is just 3.3% below pre-African swine fever levels. Uh, we don't buy that at all. First of all, in the first glance, when you look at it, if that is the case, and we're looking at record imports, the data just came out for the month of December, record imports of meat. Um, why are domestic prices just below record high levels? Now, it's elevated a little bit because people are stocking up for the Lunar New Year holiday, but that still doesn't explain it. As we talk to our people on the ground there, we look at uh, a lot of the different data. We believe that it's closer to 80% of pre-ASF levels, maybe 82% or somewhere in that ballpark. That's still pretty impressive in what they've done. But yeah, look at where soy meal uh, demand is. If you look at soybean crush over the past year, they, um, in, in 2020, they crushed more than 2 million metric tons of soybeans in more than t in 20, was it 22 weeks, I think it was, maybe 23 weeks. Uh, they didn't do that at all in 2019. They did it once in 2018 and four times in 2017. So demand for soy meal is very strong, and we still have 20% of the herd to rebuild back. That's largely because of removing food waste from from the uh, rations and these highly commercialized farms with these big feeding margins that are uh, have a big inclusion rate of soy meal so they can get these hogs to gain as fast as possible. So we think USDA is really being conservative in its demand estimates uh, for soybean demand in China for the current year. We think that we're going to see that demand continue to get ratcheted up at a time when supplies are tight, when the U.S. is basically out of soybean supplies uh, to export, and uh, South America is just is going to be really touch and go and being able to provide needs for the rest of the year until our harvest. So um, I, th I think there's good optimism to suspect that we're going to see good support on the soybean market at least uh, for much of the next year. Talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Okay, we talked before about, we were talking about this last week, that if you look at corn and wheat, they have their own stories now, uh, separate from soybeans. What are those stories this week? Uh, it, as we look at corn, it just... It is not in a position where it needs to ration demand, and that's a concern for me now that if we're at roughly $5 corn, we are starting to ration demand, but there is very little margin for error. Uh, if we see any notable production losses in South America, it further tightens the world balance sheet. Uh, we are not in the camp of expecting China to come in big and purchase. Uh, unknown purchases bought a significant amount yesterday. We believe that was China. Uh, there was chatter in the cash market yesterday. China was sh uh, shopping around for April delivery of corn. Um, so we think that was China. We do expect them to be buying. And kind of the demand that we saw this last year to continue in the year ahead, we don't expect it to be 20 or 30 million metric tons, but it, it is going to help tighten the balance sheet. Ethanol production is soft, but it's continuing to move along. 
Uh, we should hold this pace in here where we're at right now for the in the near term. Hopefully, we're going to start opening up some states. New York, I know, is talking about opening up. Some of these other states in lockdowns are talking about starting to open up. That should help gasoline demand and help prevent us from dropping any more in ethanol. So I think overall, the concerns continue to be that we might further tighten the balance sheet. Uh, you can't remove the bearish risks from this market, but I think the attitude of the market continues to be by the brakes right now as we see how things play out in South America. We see if we can get some more gasoline demand back to help support the ethanol industry, maybe some support from the Biden administration. And so there's some cautious optimism going forward just helping support this market. And a wheat? As you look at the wheat market, it comes down to Black Sea and the Plains. And as we get into the month of February, we should have a better handle on what the production potential is in those areas, what the spring weather trend is going to be in those areas. And uh, overall, that's what the market is kind of marking time now, trying to uh, see how that plays out. So while the focus or the attention might be right now on is the market rally over or not? I think we have to kind of step back and say, hey, look where we're at. Even even if it's down a little bit, look where we're at compared to where we were. Yeah, exactly right. And certainly better than where we were a year ago. Uh, as we look at the stimulus that's coming into the economy, we're expecting here in the next few days a $1.95 trillion package a related COVID from the Biden administration, a bigger package we get in February. I'm expecting the, uh, the Federal Reserve to step up its quantitative easing, although it probably won't call it that, in order to support uh, the debt on those packages. That's just pumping more money into the system. And so overall, we're expecting good economic growth and commodity inflation to be the story. One thing we have to watch is whether we have lockdowns due to COVID in China going forward over the next month. If we can avoid that, then I think it's generally positive for the commodities in the near term. All right, Arlen. Thanks a lot, as always. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. All right, coming up next, we're going to learn about a new uh, venture by the United Soybean Board, um, a U.S. Soy Mark. Some companies are working with the United Soybean Board to identify products using U.S. sustainable soy. We'll tell you about that. We'll talk with a member of the United Soybean Board. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, 
you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You took the first step and quit smoking. But even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. I think back, Jeff, mm -hmm. a year ago, we were so excited with that 10th Circuit Court ruling. A year later, we're still waiting for a resolution on that, and we've seen what's happened uh, in the year past. So, I mean, there's so much at stake yeah. here moving forward. Oh, there is. And, and uh, you know, again, I think this all goes to show that the outgoing administrator, Andrew Wheeler, is just a, a complete hypocrite because for the last year, he's been telling us, can't uh, adopt a 10th Circuit court case. I can't implement this until the appeals process fully plays out. Well, it hasn't played out. And, and now we have the case going to the Supreme Court. They're going to review the, the 10th Circuit case. Won't play out until July or August. But now Wheeler's in a rush to get these things granted. It's just another bald-faced lie from, uh, from this administration on the RFL. Us, and I, for one, will be happy to see uh, Andrew Wheeler leaving the building next week. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. 
Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information, report the call at oig.ssa.gov. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The United Soybean Board has a new pilot program to identify products and ingredients as being made with sustainably grown U.S. soy. Called the U.S. Soy Mark. We learn about it now from a USB farmer leader from the state of Maryland, Belinda Burrier. Belinda, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this project, this U.S. Soy Mark. You're welcome. Uh, USB is teaming up with Soylent and DuPont Nutrition Phytoscientists, and we're putting the market mark on their products uh, running from January 19th through March 19th, and uh, we're, we're hoping that... Uh, their consumers and such will notice the new mark and will inquire about it. And this mark uh, lets, uh, lets all of their people know that that all of their products are sustainably sourced through U.S. soybean farmers. What does this mark look like? Uh, it's a great mark. I really, I really like this mark. It has um, uh, stripes. It refers to um, the curve of farm fields and the curve of the U.S. flag. It has stars across the top, also referring to the U.S. flag. And it has a farm uh, barn and silo, which refers to us farmers. And I, I can't wait to be able to display this mark on my farm sign. What products can carry this mark? Well, to start with, it's just going to be from Soylent and DuPont, and these these products, uh, they carry all soybean uh, sources as far as beans, oil, meal, a- anything that's sustainably sourced of U.S. soybeans. So they would have to be soybeans grown in the U.S., grown on family farms with responsible labor practices. Any other criteria? Well, we also uh, do the uh, farm programs as far as what USDA recommends us as uh, conservationists. We do 100% no-till. Well, this farm does. Uh, we do cover crops. We also uh, do a nutrient management plan, which uh, uh, takes care of uh, the highly erodible land. We don't we don't over fertilize. We do the right right product at the right place at the right time and that that includes uh we also get audited from usda making sure that we are following these guidelines that they've set forth and obviously you're wanting to uh, increase uh, the perception and and fact that the u.s soy is a sustainable ingredient uh, to be used in a variety of products Indeed, and uh, USB is 
is working to create that demand for the U.S. Farmer and uh, United Soybean Board. So in their checkoff, part of what we are paying the checkoff for is that the promotion and the demand, creating demand for our product across the United States. Yeah, creating demand. You're you're hoping that uh, companies will want to more closely identify with U.S. soy and using U.S. soy products and also let that be known to their customers that the, they are using uh, this sustainable uh, ingredient. Right, and the reason why it's a mark, that people will come to recognize that mark and they'll say, oh, I'm buying that product because it contains U.S. source, sourced and sustainable products. So this is a pilot program, as you mentioned, with these two companies. Uh, what about after the this pilot program ends? Are you going to start you opening it up to other companies then? Indeed. We'll, we'll be opening it up to anybody who wants to go through the, the regulation and the certification pro- process and go ahead and uh, go ahead and put the market on, mark on their, their products also. Yeah, and let's talk about that. They do have to go through a certification process before they would be able to use this soy mark, correct? Yes, uh, they have to certify that they are purchasing all U.S. products uh, from U.S. farmers, and uh, and it's sourced all the way back to the seed. It goes in the ground. It's certified that it's all U.S. products the whole way down the food chain. So you're you're partnering in this initial pilot project with Soylent and Dupont Nutrition and Biosciences. Are you have you heard from other companies? Are they looking at it already? I I don't I don't haven't heard that personally, but I'm sure that they've already expressed interest in it just by from what they've heard uh, of our promotion already in the in the works. With more and more focus on sustainability, sustainable practices, food practices, uh, we know companies are are wanting to let their customers know that they are engaged in this process. I would think that would make this very appealing to them. I think it would make it very appealing to them also, and to support their U.S. farmers across across the whole whole uh, supply chain, and uh, knowing that that the farmer is is growing everything sustainably, taking care of their farmland, not polluting the water, enhancing their soil, and all of uh, uh, lowering greenhouse gas and, and so on. Yep, this, this will help get that message out. Belinda, thank you for letting us know, and we look forward to seeing uh, uh, hopefully a lot of growth in the use of this U.S. soy mark. Thank you very much. Thank you, and I, I advise everyone to check it out uh, if they want to learn more about the U.S. grown soy, sustainable, ussoymark.com. Whatever you make, U.S. makes you more sustainable. Very good. Thank you, Belinda. You're welcome. Belinda Burrier, she is a uh, soybean grower from the state of Maryland and a member of the United Soybean Board. And again, this pilot project getting underway, they hope it will grow the use of this U.S. soy mark. All right, that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, we'll talk with a member of the uh, Biden Ag Transition Team. What was discussed? What recommendations were made? What does that maybe give us an idea of could be coming 
for a future ag policy from the Biden administration. We'll talk more about it coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. 